now for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, five, or five. What's up, listeners? I am your host, screenwriter, ex-video store clerk, and fellow listener Jason Kleberg, and this is Force 5, a show where normally I force my guests to come up with a movie-themed top five list topic, and then we reveal our picks on air. But this is the fourth annual Halloween special, where instead, Justin LaLiberty from Vinegar Syndrome and I will be giving five film recommendations each from different horror-themed categories so that your spooky season watch list is guaranteed to be entertaining. But before we get into our bag of tricks, last show we had the podcast that wouldn't die on to talk top five horror comedies, and as usual, the internet was quick to tell us what we missed. Not in the top five, did they get it right? Excuse my language. Okay. Hell no. <laughs> I can't believe. Who, who made that list? Who made that? That's blasphemous. Don't look at me. That's blasphemous. All right, we got some good recommendations here. Mayhaw Black said Dale and Tucker versus Evil. Dyer's Blood Supply said Housebound. I haven't seen that one. I need to. Somebody Somewhere said Young Frankenstein. Buddy Holly said I wholeheartedly recommend Deathgasm. Wicked said, I enjoyed Krampus, Shaun of the Dead, and Severance. Helena Handbasket82 said, What We Do in the Shadows. GF120 said, I'll always suggest The Monster Squad, a favorite of mine when I was younger. Related Night of the Creeps for a Fred Decker doubleheader. That sounds like a good one to me. Tree of Socks said, One Cut of the Dead. I Want It Now said, Fido. Hyper Mega 2 said, Reanimator. And of course, we had a ton of people say Evil Dead in the Evil Dead series. So some more amazing horror comedies for you. If we miss something or you want to recommend something at any time, at Force5Pod on Twitter, at Force5Podcast everywhere else. And of course, you can email me at Force5Podcast at gmail.com. In terms of what I've been watching, I've seen a lot of films lately. I got COVID and I've been stuck doing nothing but watching movies. Some are going to come up on my list today. The only real horror movie outside of those that I'd want to mention is VHS 85, which was a solid entry into the VHS series, but it's kind of hard to review those because they're all really similar. There's one or two that are really, really good. In this case, it was the uh, the segments that had to do with the seven which is the opener and another one later on in the film. And that part of it is new as far as I can recall. I don't think there's ever been connected segments before. And there's always one that I really didn't like. And for this one, it was the VR one. It just really dragged the film to a screeching halt. But if you like the VHS series, I'm sure you're going to find something you like here. Overall, for me, this one probably ranks somewhere in the middle of the VHS anthologies. I gave this one three stars on Letterboxd. Now, there is one non-horror-related film I saw that I want to talk about uh, just because it's so zany, and that's 1996's Bullet. He did eight years in prison. To the free world, man. For a crime he didn't commit. I robbed the old man's liquor store. All Bullet did was drive the car. Now, he's out to protect the only thing he has left. The only way he knows how. Bullet's back. Mickey Rourke. Tupac Shakur. Bullet. 
So I'd not seen Bullet before, but since the late 90s, for some reason, I've always thought I had in my head all the mid-90s films Tupac starred in just kind of blended together, probably because after his death, there was a trio of films, this one gridlocked and gang-related, that all came out within a year of each other. But make no mistake about it, Bullet is not a Tupac movie. In fact, he's only on screen for about 10 minutes. This is a Mickey Rourke film, a vanity project that he not only stars in, but also co-wrote with his friend Bruce Rubenstein, an artist who hitched his wagon to the Rourke train in 1987 as an assistant producer on A Prayer for Dying, and then basically only worked on Mickey Rourke projects up until this film wrapped. For Rourke, this was in the middle of a rough period in his career. He had been searching for a hit for a decade, last really making a splash in 1986 and 1987 with Nine and a Half Weeks, Angel Heart, and Barfly. He tried his hand at writing twice before, penning the bad boy cowboy boxing film Homeboy and the film FTW in which he plays a bad boy ex-con. Writing himself as a bad boy seemed to be a pattern because in Bullet he plays a bad boy Jewish ex-con. It's kind of tough to nail down what exactly the plot of Bullet is because it's extremely oddly written, but it starts with this guy named Butch Stein, a name that Rubenstein would later use as a pen name when he wrote one of his only post-Rourke projects, the TV biopic Hendrix, and of course his nickname is Bullet. Getting out of jail after an eight-year stint for his involvement during a robbery and his subsequent reintegration into society. But unlike typical films of this ilk in which the character is slowly dragged back into the life of crime they're trying to avoid, Bullet gets picked up by his little brother and his friend, and he goes straight to a crack house, sticks up some yuppies, and then leaves a drug dealer lying on the pavement with a butterfly knife stuck in his eye just for the heck of it. The trio then spends the night driving around New York shooting heroin and listening to the worst music the 90s had to offer. The rest of the film sees Bullet floating through Brooklyn without direction, interacting with a weird, seemingly alternate reality in which police and females just don't exist. I mean, seriously, there are zero cops in this film, and no one who's up to no good seems concerned that it's even a profession. At one point, there's a shootout in a restaurant, and not even a siren is heard in the background. Tank, who's played by Tupac, is one of the men who walks away unscathed after he uses a little kid as a human shield and it's just back to business the next day. Had any of the survivors in the restaurant talked to a police officer afterwards, surely Tank would have been brought in for questioning because he's fairly recognizable. He wears an eye patch and drives around in a limo around Brooklyn all day with a license plate that says Tank right on it. And as for women, there are only really two female speaking parts. One is a Latina dancer who Bullet meets at a club and goes back to a hotel room with, but leaves unfulfilled after he can't get it up. And the other is Bullet's mom, who becomes the only person you feel anything for during the film, pitying her and wondering about her parental skills because all three of her sons turned out really fucked up. Her other two sons are Ruby, played by Adrian Brody, a sensitive artist type who seems to be spray-painting everything when he's not hanging around Bullet, and Lewis, a shell-shocked veteran who spends his time sitting in his room wearing nothing but crusty old underwear when he's not training the neighborhood kids to be a militia for some reason. The familial conflict here is that outside of Ruby, nobody seems to like Bullet at all. And it's not just his family. Nobody in the neighborhood outside of a few people he grew up with like him either. And trust me, you're not going to like Bullet either. And it's not because he's a junkie or a thief, it's because Rourke chooses to play the character as some dark and brooding beanie-wearing boar who has less charisma than a W-2. About halfway through Bullet, I thought to myself, hang on, is this supposed to be a dark comedy? 
a thought I frequently have because I'm kind of dumb and it takes me a bit to catch on once in a while. And in the first half of this film, there's a healthy blend of seriousness and goofiness from Donnie Wahlberg's supporting street thug character named Big Balls to a serious conversation with Bullet's best friend about his sexuality, whose response is, of course, to walk into a dive bar and order a sex on the beach cocktail. But the second half wallows in its seriousness, aside from Tank. (laughs) Now, Tank, Tupac's character, feels like he is in a completely different movie. Normally, I'm a fan of Tupac's acting. I think he was the best part about Juice back when I reviewed that a couple years ago. But here it feels almost as if the director just forgot to direct Tupac altogether. He's constantly cackling. He's chewing scenery. He's dressed in garish furs and berets like he's a fucking Dick Tracy villain who accidentally stepped off the curb and into a time warp. Despite Rourke, there is some fun to be had. Ted Levine acts his ass off here. He's kind of a highlight in a role that teeters between oddity and parody. Back in the day, I worked on a sitcom pilot that had a character who would see others as army grunts from his point of view because he was so stuck in his war. And this dude is kind of that character. Unless, of course, he's begging his mom for $60 to buy another gun. There are also some amusing early one-line roles. Michael K. Williams is in there as one of Tank's thugs. Peter Dinklage is in there as a shop owner. And while the score has some goofy 40s noir riffs to it, the soundtrack actually has some hits, but ultimately, these don't add up to a good film altogether. Bullet was completed in 1994, but was shelved and was not released until two months after Tupac's death in October 1996, and you have to wonder, if somebody else had played Tank, would it have even been released at all? Or would it just have gone direct-to-video? Who knows? I spent a lot of the runtime wondering who the audience for this was, and when it was all over, I realized it was made for one person, Mickey Rourke. I gave Bullet two stars on Letterboxd. It's almost time to get to our Halloween picks, but first, we've got to give some time to today's sponsor, the newest, best energy drink on the market, Vin Diesel Fuel. Vin Diesel Fuel is enough to keep you going during long nights of trick-or-treating, partying, or just staying up to watch all of our horror recommendations today. But don't take my word for it. Here's Vin Diesel himself. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. And you know, when you're living life in the fast lane like me, you need fuel that matches your intensity. That's why I'm here to introduce you to Vin Diesel Fuel, the ultimate drink for those who crave adrenaline and power. With every sip, you'll feel the surge of power course through your veins. Vin Diesel Fuel is infused with the essence of raw horsepower Just like the engines I tinker with, it's a high-octane blend of intense flavors that will leave you craving for more. Vin Diesel Fuel is the drink for you. It's the perfect companion for those who live life on the edge and refuse to settle for anything less than extraordinary. So if you're ready to rev up your taste buds and experience a drink that matches your intensity, grab a can of Vin Diesel Fuel and unleash the beast within. Because in life, just like on the silver screen, there's no room for mediocrity. Vin Diesel Fuel. Fuel your passion. Fuel your drive. All right, let's get to Justin LaLiberty from Vinegar Syndrome and our 2023 Halloween special.
Welcome back to the Force 5 podcast and the fourth annual Halloween special, a show that I look forward to every single year. We've had some amazing guests. Last year, my guest was the director of The Stylist, Jill Gavargazian. Before that, we had horror author Mike Thorne. And this year, we've got Justin LaLiberty from Vinegar Syndrome and OCN, from which I just got my October shipping notice. So that's uh, something I'm looking forward to in the mail. Justin, how are you this morning? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on, dude. Uh, Vinegar Syndrome is my favorite boutique label. I had Brad uh, Brad Henderson on a few years ago before he started TerraVision, and it's just incredible the amount of care that you and your teams put into these releases. Uh, just for the listeners who might not be familiar with you, what do you do with Vinegar Syndrome and OCN? Uh, well, I'm the director of operations for OCN, so pretty much the kind of workflow for that manufacturing. You know, at the end of the day, like if something's coming up for OCN, I'm I'm getting it made. Um, that's really my job there. And then with Vinegar Syndrome, I kind of do a bunch of things. Uh, some art direction for the art on our releases. I put together our booklets. Um, I produce extras for our Hong Kong releases kind of all over the place. I originally came to the company uh, to be the archivist for Vinegar Syndrome. And then I kind of transitioned to a few other things and I really like <laughs> doing a bunch of uh, different things at the same time. So it works out really well for me. And obviously you've got uh, a ton of releases, like you you own a ton of physical media releases. What do you think your collection is up to now? It's around 3,000, uh, not including any of the Vinegar Syndrome or and stuff. I keep all of that in my office. <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, my, my other collection is, you know, personal, uh, more curated and things like that. That's insane. Uh, well, speaking of curation, Let's let's say you had the ability to put out any dream property on whatever label you wanted to from from your ovoir. Uh could be a film, could be a series, a mini series, whatever, anything you want. What is one property that you would would love to release if you could? I always answer this question the same way because everybody asks it and uh <laughs> you know, the sad thing is the answer hasn't changed in a very long time and that's the devils. You know, it's uh, Ken Russell. Russell's. Uh yeah, it's just, you know, it's kind of a, a dream at this point or a fantasy, I guess, because it'll probably just <laughs> never happen. But um, yeah, if I could pick anything, you know, that's that's it. It's uh, to do, you know, that film justice. Yeah. Uh, finally, you know, it's it's never had like a proper HD release. It's just languishing. What's holding that one up? Is it just like the rights holders want too much money or? I don't think it's money. I think it's um, something more political than that. And so it's unfortunately just one of those sad you know, realities of, of uh, the film industry is that some things get made and then the people who own them or have the power to keep them from coming out, you know, kind of hold them hostage. Ah, uh, well, that sucks. Maybe someday. I mean, you put out Roadhouse and Showgirls. Yeah, every day <laughs> it seems like there's a new uh, surprise uh, with physical media, just in terms of things that we never thought would get released for, you know, lack of elements or rights issues or you know, filmmaker support, like there's so many different things that can hold up a film from getting an, a new release on, on home video. And then all of a sudden it's like next week, you know, this thing's been discovered or restored and you had no idea it was even in the works. So who knows? Maybe yeah. we'll be surprised one day. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Um, last question before we start getting into some Halloween stuff. Uh, what are some of your favorite movies that are not going to be on our list today? I saw on Letterboxd, you've watched like over 800 movies this year, which is insane. Uh, you have like 
thousands of films that you've seen. What are some of your favorites? Oh, um, I mean, it's all over the place. Like, you know, my tastes are pretty wide and I don't, you know, it's, it's always hard when people are like, what are your favorite movies? And it's just like, well, I don't, (laughs) it kind of almost (laughs) depends on the day. Yeah. It's, you know, I kind of compartmentalize more about like filmmakers, like Brian De Palma is huge for me. Um, body double and blowout, especially, uh, John Waters was like a, a big formative, you know, filmmaker for me with pink flamingos kind of just getting me into like whatever outsider art could be. Um, sure. And yeah, that's still a pretty big thing for me. Joe Dante has always been somebody I've gravitated towards. Uh, Gremlins 2 is, you know, this very big uh, comfort movie for me. Um, and then I, I really love, you know, like French cinema was big for me when I was a teenager. And it still is. Agnes Varda's films, I think, are, you know, incredibly like evocative of just, you know, kind of living a life. And uh, Beaches of Agnes, I think, is really touching. Chantal Ackerman's films kind of the same way, like News from Home. Um, when I left home for the first time, like News from Home was a, a film that really resonated. And then I also, you know, I, I love horror movies, I love action movies. Yeah, action especially is kind of, I think, for for some reason, people think of horror when they t- when they talk to me. I think probably just because of the association with vinegar syndrome. Sure. But um, action has always really been more my my bread and butter when we get into genre. And like, I'm a massive Michael Bay supporter. Which me too. People always, <laughs> yeah, people always think that's weird that I, I love Michael Bay, but Bad Boys too. I think is like a an absolute masterpiece. <laughs> It doesn't really get better than that for me. Um, I also adore Last Action Hero. Nice. Which, like I have the one sheet up in my basement, and I can't get enough of it. <laughs> just like you know, Arnold Stallone, like all that stuff from the eighties and nineties. Like that's really what I grew up on. Even you know, Steven Seagal movies. He's kind of a bad person, but it's <laughs> yeah. you know, those movies were all like in constant rotation for me when I was a kid, and a lot of that hasn't changed. You know, like my tastes probably matured in some degree as I got older, but I also really held on to all of that. Like I didn't shed it. Like I still, you know, I'll watch Ninja Turtles and the live action Super Mario movie, which I'll, you know, continue to go to bat for. So it doesn't really, you know, there's no, to me, there's no such thing as like bad taste. I think it's just all, you know, one big pool of stuff and we should enjoy as much of it as we can. I agree, dude. I love Michael Bay, and <laughs> a lot of people give me shit for that. But you know what? He's like a—he's a grown man playing in a sandbox, and he knows what he likes to do, and he does it extravagantly, and it's always entertaining. Yeah, I wish I had a very expensive sandbox like he does. <laughs> Indeed. All right, Justin, you ready to get into some Halloween stuff here? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Are there any Halloween traditions that you or, or your family have? Not really. Um, you know, I guess it, it depended on kind of the part of life I was in. You know, I, I went trick-or-treating as a kid, of course, uh, up until like an early teenager. And then as a teen and in college, I partied. Uh, I'm kind of past my partying age. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, you know, my wife and I, we hand out candy. Uh, so that's really like Halloween night. Like that's what we do. We like giving our candy to the kids in our neighborhood and just kind of seeing everybody get dressed up and having a good time. So that's, yeah, not too much uh, uh on Halloween night these days, especially if it's on a weeknight. Sure, yeah. What's your, what's your favorite costume you've ever worn for Halloween? Whoever. Um, I don't. I mean, when I was a kid, it was you know I, I loved being like Spider Man. Like <laughs> I was Spider Man. <laughs> yeah. RoboCop was like a huge one for me. I kept being RoboCop like numerous years in a row. Nice. Uh, and then just like loved RoboCop as a kid. 
But as an adult, you know, I never really like put that much effort into it as an adult. Um, I think it was the last year my wife made us costumes to be, um, we did like, I was the, the plant from, um, little shop of horrors. Oh, that's cool. So like, that was fun, but yeah, it's the, this year I went doing a, a Jaws costume. So she's going to be, <laughs> the, gonna be Richard Dreyfus. So cool. Yeah, well, we just kind of always go movie-themed at this point, but we don't spend a lot of money on it anymore. Yeah, we're the same way. Like, what can we do on the cheap that people are going to recognize that we like? All right, man, well, let's get into some Halloween special picks. So both Justin and I have picked film recommendations from five different categories. And in the past, these have been chosen by me and the guest, but this time I look to listeners to pick the topics, and I chose four topics that had never been on a Halloween special. And then we also have a wild card pick where we can recommend whatever we want. So the categories are aquatic horror, a Halloween film, and this just means a film that takes place on or around Halloween, does not have to be horror. And then we've got a period piece, we've got a deadly game film, think uh, like a film that has game participants who must play or they'll die, like Saw or Cube or whatever. And then finally our, our wild card choice. So those are our five selections there. Uh, Justin, do you want to choose which category we go with first here? I don't really care. <laughs> don't care? The All first right. one I have down is the game one, so I guess we could start with that. All right, I'll, I'll kick us off here with uh, our deadly game pick. Mine is, uh, I think it's a little less known than a, a lot of deadly game films. This one is a more recent one from 2017. It's called Game of Death. What did I do? You smoke. <laughs> <laughs> With the clock ticking, is life worth living? Make a choice, you or I. Without decision, one will die. In this quest, some are left behind. This game will blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. This is not the Bruce Lee film, of course. This is a uh, film directed by the French-Canadian duo Sebastien Landry and Laurence Marat Lagasse. Have you heard of this one before, Game of Death? I have, yes. Yeah, this film is, um, it's, it's definitely not the best deadly game film around, I guess I would say, but it is super entertaining. It's extremely gory, and here's the thing, it clocks in at just 73 minutes. So if you're waiting for trick-or-treaters or you are like waiting on your significant other to get their elaborate Halloween makeup on, you might be able to squeeze this in in that time. It's about these seven teenagers who you are definitely going to hate. And they are they show up to their Airbnb. They're kind of trashing it. They rented it for the weekend. And they go in this closet and they find a board game called The Game of Death. It has a bunch of skulls around it and a little screen in the middle. And it requires all the players to put their finger on the skull at the same time. And when they do this, all of a sudden their fingers are pricked and blood goes into the board and a digital screen in the center like does a random lottery for numbers and it hits the number 24 and then the game has started. And the rules are simple. One person must be killed before the unspecified timer goes down and it's about five minutes. And if they don't kill somebody, then somebody in the group is gonna die. And the game only ends after they've killed 24 people or all the players in the game are dead. And of course, like 
you and I are playing this game. We're going to think it's a joke, just like these kids do. And then five minutes goes by and one of the people's heads explodes and his his face starts swelling up like a balloon and then boom, blood everywhere. And all of a sudden shit gets real. And now they're going to have to leave this house in the middle of the country and find some people to kill before they're all dead. It's one of these movies where if you're watching it with friends, you're just you're going to be thinking about how how you would do in this situation. Like, what would you do? Uh, some of the things that they do, probably not the smartest moves. But man, this one is, it, it's a its a super entertaining movie. Best watched with friends because of how ridiculous it is. The acting can be questionable. The script is, you know, it, it has some flaws, but you're probably not going to care. Again, super short watch, really, really fun. And uh, yeah, I, I recommend Game of Death from 2017. I'll have to watch it. I haven't seen it. I've heard of it, but I think it's on maybe on Tubi or something. Like I remember seeing it when. Yeah, it's got a great poster too. If you want something a real quick, real breezy watch that's pretty gory and very entertaining, it'll hit the spot. All right, so that's uh, that's my deadly game pick. Justin, what is your deadly game pick? So every one of the films I did for today is from the 90s. I think the 90s is this like... <laughs> nice totally disrespected decade for horror um i think that's you know a pretty big bummer when i was programming i programmed for alamo draftos for a few years yeah and i really tried to play a lot of 90s horror and it just was not i wouldn't even say it wasn't received well i think people who came enjoyed it but there was this kind of just like in the horror community i think there's this almost like a grudge against 90s horror for some reason because it's not the 80s or 70s which the decades are great but i came of age in the 90s so i really like 90s horror and especially you know movies like like scream came out when i was 10 and i saw it when i was 10 and it kind of blew my mind so seeing you know a lot of the films that came out at that time when they were released was really important to me so i wanted to every movie in my list is something i saw when it came out uh, in the 90s and had some sort of effect on me so my game one is it's almost cheating because I don't know if I'd necessarily call it a game. There is a contest and it's the remake of House on Haunted Hill from 1999. Where's the party? Looks like we're at. This Halloween, six strangers have been invited to a party. If they can stay up till dawn, they'll win $1 million each. Hey, I think I got something. The only catch is that they'll have to live through the night. House on Haunted Hill, rated R. Starts Friday, October 29th at a theater near you. Oh, no, that would count. That's a that's a game. I, I love it. Um, I really like the Dark Castle films. I think, you know, House on Haunted Hill, 13 Ghosts, Gothica, House of Wax, especially. I think that they're all really unique um, in, you know, how they approach either remaking um, a film that people are aware of or doing something unique, like in the case of Gothica. But the art direction's always great. I mean, I think House on Haunted Hill, like the house in that movie just looks amazing. You know, the setup, I feel like people know House on Haunted Hill, but the setup in the remake is uh, Jeffrey Rush plays a guy named Stephen Price, who's clearly supposed to be Vincent Price, um, you know, from the original one. It's an incredibly campy performance. And he offers a series of strangers um, a, an opportunity to stay in this house, the the you know former psychiatric hospital or whatever it is, a million dollars to stay the night if they survive the night. In the original, it was ten thousand dollars. So you can kind of see how <laughs> uh, money has changed over four decades. 
But yeah, it's it's a really fun premise. It works really well. I think it honestly works better than the original, which is probably blasphemy to to a lot of you know kind of classic horror fans. But the characters in the remake, I think, hit harder at being like total pieces of shit. You're like you have one of them played by Chris Kattan. You know, it's it's not going to be like <laughs> a bunch of people you want to spend the night with. And the ghost effects are really cool. Um, yeah, it's I think it's a it's a really strong horror film from that era. I was thirteen when it came out, and I remember it like legitimately scaring me. It doesn't really have that effect now, but it is creepy. It, you know, the atmosphere is really thick. Jeffrey Combs has like a bit part in um, some flashback scenes, and there's some images that are genuinely like unnerving, which. You know, doesn't happen that often in a, a movie produced by a company like Warner Brothers for, you know, millions and millions of dollars. So I really like it. I think it's it's a movie that people should give a chance if they haven't. I think a lot of people kind of wrote it off when it came out and probably still do um, just because it's a remake and it's from 1999. But it's uh, I think it's a really strong horror movie and people should, you know, give it some attention. I need to go back and rewatch this one. I haven't seen this since the theaters in 99 and i remember liking it i remember it had a really great cast famke jansen's in there right yep. and um tay tay diggs yes i think is in there and um yeah. uh, peter gallagher is in there too <laughs> ali larger yeah. so that's that's like the group of people i'll have to get that one a, another watch that's uh house on haunted hill from 1999 all right well you said all your picks are from the 90s which means we're not gonna have any crossover because i don't have any films oh, from the 90s online. not because i don't like 90s horror i definitely do um but yeah all of mine are either newer or i have one older one um all right where are we going next let's do the halloween night halloween night all right so uh my halloween film is the only one that's not a horror film but it just screams halloween to me this is one that Man, I wish, I hope at some point that you release this. Get ready to have a happy day because Kenny and Company are coming your way. This is Kenny and Company from 1976. Cheer, laugh, get loose as a goose. Kenny and Company are on their way with Kenny, our hero. Sometimes, Marcy, the young fox, is he ever going to kiss her? Big Doug, a secret service agent. Kenny's loyal sidekick. Watch out for him on Halloween. They're all on the lookout for the bully. It's the funniest victory in movie history. Kenny and Company, rated PG. Directed by Don Coscarelli, who did Phantasm and Beastmaster. Stars Dan McCann, who was never in anything else. A. Michael Baldwin and basically the rest of the Phantasm cast. There's like, there's so many people from Phantasm in this. Uh, Kenny and Company follows Kenny He's a 12-year-old kid and then two of his other sixth-grade friends, Doug and Sherman, and their neighborhood adventures in the few days leading up to Halloween. So it takes place like four days before Halloween, and it ends the day after Halloween. It's a real, real fun slice of life in 70s suburbia. We just kind of hang out with these kids as they do their thing like we used to when we were kids, like riding bikes around the neighborhood, making suicides at the slushy machine. Did you ever make a suicide at the slushy machine or like the uh, the drink machine where you just put everything in one cup and then try it? Oh, yeah. I would never do that now. But <laughs> no. yes. But as a kid, it was like it was like a rite of passage as a kid, man. You, did, you know, somebody on the baseball team did it. Uh, in this case, the flag football team dodging bullies. Johnny Hoffman's the bully in this. He's a real piece of shit. 
uh, having cafeteria food fights, deal with your first crush, and of course, unveiling their Halloween costumes. This does cover some like serious topics here and there. Uh, there's a there's a real serious scene where the kids are walking down the street, and all of a sudden, a car just crashes down the street from them, and the guy in the car is dead. And the kids like Sherman asks Kenny, like Kenny, what happens when you die? Like there, there's some there's some heavy topics in this, but it is also really really funny. Halloween is throughout the movie. They're talking about Halloween, their anticipation for Halloween. The title screen is like a jack o' lantern pumpkin, and the last third of the movie, Halloween really really comes into play as they go trick or treating. They find themselves facing down a haunted house, which is. The, the audience reaction to the haunted house scene is one of the things that pushed Don Coscarelli to make, go and make Phantasm, which is great. Um, I could have put this movie on top five sidekicks because the character of Doug is just a great best friend to Kenny. You see it right away in the very first scene when uh, they're playing a flag football game and Kenny, bless his heart, he, he just doesn't know the rules of football real great and he picks the ball off and runs the wrong way. <laughs> Doug comes and grabs him while he's running the wrong way. Like, you're running the wrong way, idiot. Points him in the right direction and throws a nasty block so Kenny can score. Um, it's I love this movie. I don't think anybody's put it out on Blu-ray. It's got a DVD release, but that's it. Um, yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about Kenny and Company. It's shot really well. It's also got a great score. Fred Myro did the score. Um, it's a really like nostalgic, hazy 70s score, which is just fantastic. And that's hard to find, too. But uh, yeah, Kenny and Company is my Halloween film. I'm sure you've seen it. If not seen it, you're familiar with it. Yep, yep, I've seen it. It's uh, something I really liked a lot when you know I was kind of in my late teen years. I think it's it's a, a movie that's really you know kind of hits me almost like an American Graffiti, even though yeah, it's like a little bit younger. But yeah, I think that you know it's it's nostalgic for a time that. I might not have been alive, but I feel like so much of it is just universal and timeless. It works out really well. But yeah, I would I would love for somebody to put it out. It's one that I'm surprised nobody has. It makes me think that there's probably some type of rights issue there. I figured with the work that you guys have done with Don Coscarelli, maybe uh, maybe at some point. We'll see. If somebody else does it, I'll buy it. So. Yeah, same. All right. What's your Halloween film from the 90s? Mine is also another movie from 1999, and that is Idle Hands. Idle Hands are the devil's playground. This spring... It's like I have no control over my hands. If you're not scared... Look at me! Look at me! I'm laughing! If you're not squirming... What are you doing? CPR, man. I saw him Baywatch. If you're not screaming... You scream like a girl. You must already be dead. Undead, actually. Idle Hands. Okay, that wasn't my fault. Rated R. Opens everywhere April 30th. I, I love Idle I think that's another one that, you know, people kind of unfairly dismissed when it came out. I, I like a good, um, you know, disembodied hand movie. And the <laughs> disembodied hand in this one is the same hand actor that did um, Thing in The Adams Family. So it's it's a great hand performance. Um, but the, the whole movie is, it's this really great kind of, combination of supernatural horror stoner comedy um just a lot of gore it's about a you know a, a pothead kid who wakes up finds out his well he doesn't find out his hand is possessed where he wakes up but he wakes up to find his parents are dead and uh they're like kind of turned into halloween decorations the whole movie takes place around halloween 
and he's got a possessed hand. He's trying to like get rid of his hand, cuts his hand off. Next thing you know, it's it's wreaking havoc around town and at the school and ends with this big Halloween dance, which is a great scene for anything Halloween related. Uh, there's people in kiss makeup. One of them gets like choked out by the hand and um, the offspring have a cameo, which is probably one of the things oh, yeah. most well known for where Dexter from the offspring gets scalped by the hand. And then uh, Tom DeLonge from Blink-182 is a man in a cameo. So it's, you know, it hit at the right time when I was 13 and, you know, super into pop punk and just kind of dopey comedies to have this like really gory comedy come out from Sony, like a major studio, like put that out. And I remember it had like kind of a bumpy release because of Columbine happening. Oh like, yeah. And then, so there was, you know, a lot of the the marketing because it was taking place in a high school dealt with, you know, kind of blood splatters in high school. And I think that they had to pivot on that to, to get it out. And I think that really ended up probably hurting its, its reception at the time was that kind of pivot. And it's it's just a really fun. It's you know it's one of those movies that almost every Halloween I watch it. Yeah, I think it captures the spirit of the holiday. It's legitimately funny. I think a lot of horror comedies like that combination is really hard to pull off to actually be funny. And yeah, I wouldn't say it's scary, but to to have that that spirit, I think like uh, American Werewolf in London is kind of the the pinnacle. Uh, you can't really top that. And Shaun of the Dead's up there, but. Idle Hands might not necessarily be as great as American Wall from London, but I think it, it gives it an earnest shot. And I think it's a very sincere movie for what it is. Like, it never tries to be anything more than a gory stunner comedy. And a lot of times that's what I want to watch. Wow. Idle Hands. This is the second time in a row that Idle Hands has made the Halloween special. Last year, we had a category of uh, something possessed. Well, and I believe Jill picked Idle Hands for that. So... In good company there. Yeah, this is a, a, a really fun movie. And Tom DeLonge was just making cameos in movies in 1999. Wasn't he in American Pie as well? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, all of everything, all of Liberty 2 were in that one. Yeah, just like on the screen during the, yeah, I remember that. All right, Idle Hands. So we've got two really great Halloween films. Where are we going next? We've got Period Piece and we've got Aquatic Horror. Let's do Period Piece. Period Piece. All right. This Period Piece is, is one that... Uh, it threw my list into complete like disarray because um, I saw this on a plane a couple days ago and I decided it needed to be on my list. I was going to have originally in this spot, I had the other from 1972, but I ended up going with a newer film because I just saw it and it rattled me and I wanted to talk about it. And it's a movie called Apostle from 2018. Thomas, your sister, she's gone. These people, they're blasphemers, a cult, a disease. Bring her home. Name, Thomas Richardson. I dream of a world in which each waking day we rise equal. This island, it's our paradise. We have an intruder on our land. We have to find him. Your eyes. They've seen things. Who are you? 
Yeah, that movie is wild. <laughs> yeah, so this is directed by Gareth Evans. I'm shocked that I didn't see it before because I'm a big Gareth Evans fan. I, I love the Raid movies. This stars Dan Stevens, who I also love, Paul Higgins, and Michael Sheen. Uh, it's set in 1905, and our guy Dan Stevens plays a drug addict drifter, and he gets a letter sent to him by a mysterious island-locked cult, and they say that they have a sister, and they demand that he bring them a ransom in order to set her free. So that's our setup. We learn all this on the train as he's on his way to the boat to go to this island. And when he gets there, he starts uncovering things about the cult and the island, and he starts bringing it down from the inside. Now, if you're looking for something with a constant state of dread and something that is going to make you feel grimy and something's going to make you want to take a shower afterwards, this is the movie for you. It feels like an ode to the Wicker Man in many ways. The atmosphere here is off the charts, and there are some real scares. Uh, there's a scene that takes place in this river of blood that is extremely well done. It's so claustrophobic, and what happens in there is so scary that, like, man, I, I was, like, covering. I, I was watching this on an airplane, and I'm covering my iPad to make sure nobody around me can see it because they would definitely think that I was just uh, very weird. Um, Dan Stevens, like I said, always amazing. Another reason why this threw uh, uh, like my list into disarray is because originally my Halloween film was going to be The Guest, but I didn't oh. want to have two Dan Stevens films on here. I love The Guest, but it's been on a list before, um, so I, I, I swapped it out. But as good as Dan Stevens is, uh, Mark Lewis Jones, who plays the character Quinn in this, really steals the show as one of the unhinged leaders on this island. With all Gareth Evans stuff, the gore is really well done. And in this, obviously no different. But man, the last third of this film, there's a lot of it. And there are some religious torture devices in this movie that are what nightmares are made of. There's, well, I, I don't want to describe too much of them, but let, just the human wine bottle opener. Uh, extremely well shot movie. The scene, there's a scene where it flashes back to his time in uh, Mongolia and there's fire and there's a cross that's falling as his faith is, is falling. It's just, it's amazing, amazingly well shot. Just a nasty, dirty horror film that once you watch it will be hard to forget. So yeah, Apostle from 2018, that is my period piece, which takes place in 1905. Yeah, I really, really like that movie. That was one of those, there still is. One of those Netflix releases that hasn't got a disc, and I'm just like dying for somebody to put it out. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's at least there. For, for anybody who wants to watch, it's very easy to watch, but I would love like a, a really great 4K release of that. And I also, it's another one that I would have loved to have seen in a theater. I think that oh, would yeah. work really, really well on a big screen. Yeah, it'd be amazing with a crowd, especially uh, especially with this, the last third. Man, that would be amazing to see with a, with a packed house. All right, Justin, your period piece. So mine is another movie from 1999. And I did want everything to be from the 90s, but I had no idea going <laughs> in that I would end up with three from 1999. Um, but I guess that was, uh, you know, I was 13, turned 14 that year. So I think it was a pretty big year for me, um, like just film related. And so my period piece is Ravenous from 1999. In the mountains of California... Man eats the flesh of another. In this secluded town, he steals that man's strength. One man is about to discover. He was licking me! The 
legend is real. We need others. You for one. I'm gonna kill him. Isn't this civilized? Rated R. You know, it's a horror movie, but I think it's also a bunch of other things. It's a dark comedy. It's like a war drama. It's, I don't even know. Like, it's, it's kind of a hard movie that's a hard movie to like taxonomize. Like, it's very strange. It's one that you look at now and you're shocked that a Hollywood studio is like, let's make this, you know, 1800 set cannibalism dark comedy war movie like i don't I, i'm kind of shocked that there was ever a meeting with studio heads that were like let's green light this like this sounds like a great idea and it's directed by antonia bird who was probably most well known in like in the 90s she was probably most well known for making a movie called priest have you ever seen that no i haven't so it's i think it was 94 and it's it's a movie that like was banned or at least protested heavily by the Catholic Church. It's about a priest who deals with like homosexuality and then there's a lot of topic of molestation. So these are things that the Catholic Church was just like, what are you doing? Like you can't put this movie out. And then on you know, aside from the controversy with the Catholic Church, she faced a lot of, you know, kind of scrutiny with the MPAA at the time. So just because of how frankly it dealt with sexuality and with, you know, male nudity, it was originally given an NC-17 and it ended up getting cut to get an R rating. Um, But that was, you know, it was kind of like this hot potato of a movie when it was being released. So to have her kind of behind this movie that is another thing that, you know, kind of deals with history and deals with these things that people have done um, that aren't good it's the everybody in ravenous is like a pretty terrible person like you don't have a lot of people to root for in it and you're dealing with it takes place um i think it's it's the like um the mexican american war in the 1800s and you have this like outpost and all of a sudden there's a cannibal who just like kind of comes out of the woods and is like antagonizing this military outfit and what i don't really want to spoil anything but where it goes is to some pretty incredibly dark places and it's really funny i think that's the what i take away the most from it is that it is it doesn't hide its comedy like it's a very funny movie if you have a dark sense of humor and you're on its wavelength but if you're not it's probably just this like totally disgusting horror movie I watch it now as a comedy. Like when I sell people on it, I say this is a dark comedy. But if you go on like any website or anything, I'm sure it doesn't list comedy. I don't think that it was, you know, accepted as a comedy when it came out. I think most of the reviews and most of, you know, the the reception around it when it was released was that it was like really dark period piece cannibal movie. I do love, um, you know, she had this whole dilemma with the MPA on Priest and then when they rated Ravenous, it has a really funny MPAA rating. It's like it's like rated R for considerable gore. And I think that's the only time I've ever seen considerable that. Considerable gore. Yeah, considerable gore. I think it's the only time I've ever seen that. And it's it's almost like, what does that even mean? Like it's, it's like there's there's enough? Like is it considerable because there's just like enough of it? Or is it considerable because of like what there is is really gross? Um 
and I, you could go either way. Like it's not, it's not a wall-to-wall violent movie, and it's it's almost similar in in a way to a puzzle where it's not until the last act that things get like really gruesome. But when it happens, you're like, oh shit, like that's happening right now. And it's it's nice because this is it's a cast that you wouldn't really expect in a movie like this. You know, Guy Pierce is the lead. You've got like David Arquette has an amazing role. He's I think he's the one that people really like anchor onto. And I remember the trailers were kind of looking like his his performance is so like crazy that people were really like targeting that for for advertising. But yeah, Robert Carlyle is in there, Jeremy Davies. Like it's a really great ensemble cast. And it also looks amazing. Like it's a gorgeously shot and art directed movie that, you know, if, if it wasn't genre leading i feel like this is the kind of thing that you know would have been in in contest for awards that year it's just it's like a very well produced like a lavish period piece that just happens to have you know cannibals and really graphic violence <laughs> yeah this has a really similar atmosphere to uh <clears throat> to apostle in that it's just like real dirty real grimy and uh again one that you're gonna want to shower afterwards all right, uh, underwater horror, or uh, aquatic horror, rather. And uh, mine is Underwater from 2020. Listen carefully. You are now 5,000 miles from land, and you're descending seven miles to the bottom of the ocean. See you all in a month. Here we go. We're gonna do this! Let's do this! On a scale from one to ten, how bad's my rig? Ten. We drilled to the bottom of the ocean, and we don't know what came out. Gotta get to the station. How did we even get there? We walk up. We're just gonna walk with insufficient oxygen across the bottom of the ocean. You don't know what's out there. Worst idea ever! This is directed by William Eubank, stars Vincent Cassell, Kristen Stewart, and TJ Miller. This is one of the biggest surprises I had over the last couple of years. It's about a crew of oceanic researchers. They're working seven miles under the ocean for a deep sea drilling company. And they have to try to get to safety after a mysterious earthquake devastates their deep water research drilling facility. Um, It's at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. If you're into creature features, this is a really, really great choice this Halloween. When I reviewed this a couple years ago, I described it as a mix of Alien and the Abyss. And I really stand by that. I think it, uh, it has elements of both really entertaining. I was a little surprised when I was I was uh, researching this again for this show. I was surprised at like the low critic scores and most of them ding the film for not having character development. But it's it's a chase movie. It's an action film. It's an escape film. And it starts pretty much directly from the beginning and it doesn't let up until the last frame. So, I mean, character development, what, what are you asking for, <laughs> critics? Like, he... You know, they're constantly on the run. I appreciated this film a whole lot. Uh, And one of the things I I really loved about it were those action scenes. I think they're extremely well done. Um, The first one happens within the first couple minutes. It's a really tense 
Kristen Stewart is hearing noises. She's in just these barren hallways. We get a great 360 shot of her looking around, and all of a sudden she feels water dripping from the ceiling. And, uh, you know, she takes a minute to, to think about it, and then all hell breaks loose. And uh, it's just a really exciting way to kick things off, and it never lets up. She's great in this, by the way. I, I, I'm a fan of Kristen Stewart, and I think she's great in this. Vincent Cassell, I've always been a, a big fan of, and he's always great. He's the same in here. And then if, if my mention of T.J. Miller has put any listeners off, he's not in the movie very much. So if that makes you feel any better, uh, I would say give it a shot. This is rated PG-13, but it feels like it could be an R. It's very much on that threshold, so don't let the rating hold you back if you're that person that's like, I don't want to watch PG-13 horror. There's a lot of good PG-13 horror, and this is one of them. Uh, people die in brutal ways in this movie. So, yeah, Underwater from 2020. Have you seen this one? I did. Yeah, it was, you know, it's one of those that I would have liked to have seen in a theater, but it came out at, like, exactly the wrong time. <laughs> so, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's one that, like, this is the kind of movie I would have I would have really enjoyed on a big screen. It reminded me, you know, in moments, it reminded me of um, Sphere. Yeah. To go back to another 90s movie, which is not, you know, my, my pick, but it had a similar atmosphere to that. Like that's what it reminded me of when I was watching it was just like the, like when they go underwater for the first time in sphere and they're all like these, you know, researchers are kind of at this like weird, you know, science research center that's so far under the water. It reminded me of that, of like these, you know, almost ordinary people that are in like very extraordinary circumstances. And I think that that's, you know, like if, I would never do it, <laughs> but if somebody like <laughs> yeah. were to happen to go underwater, like I feel like this is, you know, a, a close approximation to the. Yeah, just a crazy lifestyle, man. Five thousand miles from land and seven miles under the ocean. Yeah, I can't. I can't really imagine. It gives me anxiety thinking about it. But I also am a huge Kristen Stewart fan, so that's what you know made me watch it was that she was the star. Yeah, and she she's great in this. She's she's super good. All right, um, your aquatic horror film. So it's not 1999. We're going a year prior to our 1998 with Deep Rising. It doesn't care if you scream. It doesn't care what you did last summer. It wants you. Uh-oh. Just the way you are. I vote we leave. Who votes we leave? Deep Rising. Rated R. Friday, January 30th at a theater near you. I, I love it. And it's, you know, unfortunately, Tree Williams uh, passed away recently. And I think this is one of my favorite roles that he ever did. I think it's just a really fun genre, like, mashup. You know, it's... I, remember, I feel like they said, like, when this was marketed, they kept comparing it to... It was like a monster movie meets, like, Under Siege or something. And that's basically what it is. You know, it's it's like if Leviathan was made into like a '90s action movie, and it's it yeah the this basic setup is these uh, pirates you know get onto a cruise ship to steal a bunch of shit, and then it turns out there's monsters in there, like love crafting it and tentacle monsters, and it's great. It's like a perfect you know kind of one sentence like log line movie where it's like somebody was like hey what if we did x and they met with x and like that's all you need and it, it just runs with it like it doesn't try to do anything else and you know you've got jet ski stunts you have just eviscerated bodies this movie's super gory 
The effects are really fun. You know, th there's some 90s CG in there that's a little touch and go. But I think it, it adds to the charm. And yeah, everybody's having a great time. Uh, Tree Williams looks like he's having the time of his life. I'm sure it was a terrible movie to shoot because everybody had to be with the whole time. Oh, yeah. That's right. When I watch a lot of these like aquatic movies, I was like, oh, these people were probably wet for like 12 hours a day. <laughs> it has to be absolutely miserable. But the movie's so fun that you kind of don't really you know, think that way when you're watching it. Um, but yeah, I love it. It's a movie I saw when it came out. And I remember this was all these were in the 90s and I was very young. So I was 12, I think, when Deep Rising came out. And that was, yeah, my mom took me to see it. And I remember selling her on it being like, it's like an action movie. It's gonna, you know, it's not going to be that bad. And then it was like super gross. She said, what the fuck? Like, you see these movies, it was like the year prior we saw Starship Troopers. It was like disgusting. And yeah, I remember uh, this was one of those that it was really hard to get her to go to like proper horror movies, but to get her to go to something that was action, it was like, hey, it's an action movie. It's going to be fine. And then it was like disgusting. Uh, yeah, I, I love Deep Rising. I think it's it's just like a total blast of a movie. I played it when I was programming. I did a screening of it. And it's just like even, you know, this was a few years ago, but even now it just like lands really, really well with audiences. This is your uh, second Famke Jansen appearance yep. on your list today. Yeah, this is a good one. And Treat Williams, man, he was a great actor. This is probably, like you said, one of his... It's It seems like he's having a lot of fun here. Whereas you watch something like Prince in the City, it, you know, it doesn't look like he's having a whole lot of fun. I do, I do love Prince in the City, but yeah, I don't think that's... That's not a fun performance. That's you know, you're trying to win an award performance. All right, Deep Rising. That's your uh, your... Aquatic horror film. We've had some amazing recommendations. And uh, now we're getting to our wild card pick. This could be whatever we want to recommend. Um, I had no idea what to play for my wild card pick. And then I got struck with COVID and I was stuck in bed for like a couple days. This is really the first day where I could talk without coughing my lungs out. And uh, I watched a bunch of different films, a lot of foreign films. And I watched one that's brand new. And I'm hoping that you haven't seen it just so I can sell you on it. Because I like you see way more movies than me. I don't know if you've heard of this or, or seen it. It's a Swedish horror comedy called The Conference. I've heard of it, but I hadn't watched it yet. I've seen people, I think it like just came out, right? Because I've seen people lauding it, yeah. Yeah, it just came out. This is co-written and directed by Patrick Eklund. And it stars Katia Winter. Adam Lundgren, Bahar Pars, and a ton of other Swedish actors. The easiest way that I've described to th this to people is uh, you take the Office episode Beach Games, where they go and they like do little contests and stuff, and then you add a slasher into the mix. This killer is picking everybody off one by one. That's the easiest way that I can describe this. It's about a corporate land development firm that sends nine employees out to break ground on a big new shopping mall area. And they're staying at this dingy summer camp place that very much feels like Crystal Lake. All the office type surrogates are here. The uh, The boss is played by Maria Sid. She is definitely uh, a Michael Scott type of character. There's a Dwight Schrute. Uh, there's a guy named Kai, Kai who's totally Andy Bernard. If you switch cats and religion to caring for the environment, you've got an Angela. There's like a Stanley who's actually a, a manly Stanley. And then the fun starts when people start getting picked off one by one. And the killer wears this 
head of a costume that Jonas brings to the lake. A very, very fun mask. Feels like um, it feels like a mix between Ghostface and the Happy Death Day killer almost. But much like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which I talked about in the last episode, which was top five horror comedies. This film is really funny, but it treats the slasher scenes absolutely straight, which is um, it, it, it's amazing because it goes from funny and quirky to straight up terrifying. And people die in crazy ways. There is a ton of blood. Body parts are hacked off. I'm not going to reveal anything about any of the kills, but I will say the final kill in this film is amazing. Um, they find a really smart way to get rid of cell phones and the internet, which is nice because in modern times, sometimes it's tough to write around that. And it's not as cheap as we don't have signal out here, which is nice. There's beautiful cinematography here. It's shot so well. There's a, a shot with a zip line that I, I actually watched twice because I'm like, that is, that is such a beautiful shot. This is a perfect film for right now. It's a perfect 2023 final girl. Uh, not dealing with like traumatic past deaths or parental issues. She's just really overworked and coming back from stress leave. Yeah. <laughs> That's our our characters here in 2023. So the conference from from this year is Swedish horror comedy. That's my wild card. I love this movie. Just saw it a couple days ago, but really wanted to talk about it. I'll definitely have to watch that. I've seen other people watching it and saying they liked it, but I haven't really looked into to what it's actually about. I had no idea it was even Slasher or Jason. Justin, last pick here. What is your wild card choice? Another 90s movie. Um, it's This one's from 1995, so it's the oldest one on the list. And it's a movie that I saw way too young. Um, I was 10 when I saw this. I had seen Scream um, by now. And I had wanted to see more just kind of like random horror movies. I was basically just like a video store kid. So I spent a lot of time in the video store, a lot of time just like browsing aisles, like just sitting on the floor, like looking through VHS tapes. And this was one that I had really wanted to watch. I remember my mom being like, no, this looks too scary. And that of course <laughs> made me want to watch it even more. So this is a movie titled Night of the Scarecrow. I saw something. What do you mean? It was an accident. What the hell else could it be? Well, what if it wasn't an accident? <gasps> you look like you just saw a ghost. It's like they're protecting some nasty little secret, but nobody knows what it is. This is hysteria running out of control. Two, maybe three murders in the last two nights. It's not being done by a man at all. They're all going to be dead. Come back. Dad? He will become human again. Dad? No one can stop his power. And it's directed by Jeff Burr, who recently died. And I think this is his best movie and it's a movie that like nobody really talks about um, it was released on Blu-ray by Olive a few years back I don't know if that's still in print or not but if it's not somebody else should put it out um, maybe we should but it's a it's a great great like mid 90s slasher movie that I feel like gets kind of no play or recognition and it's the premise of it is ridiculous it's you know this like kind of farm town 
and you you learn sort of as it goes like the history of of what it all is but basically there's there's this drunk dude like drives over like a stone or something in the ground and it unleashes a spirit that possesses a scarecrow and the scarecrow goes around killing people and they're all extremely inventive kills i don't want to really ruin too many of the kills but one of my favorite scenes in the movie is um the scarecrow like makes a guy sprout straw out of like his fingernails and eyeballs so it's it's got like some body horror touches um there's like a really gross pregnancy thing where the scarecrow's got like seeds that come out of his fingers and he can like impregnate women with them. It's it's truly gross. Uh, it's it's a really like kind of vile piece of like nineties direct to video horror. And I love it. Again, it's something I should definitely not have watched as a as a child. Um but the the spirit possessing this scarecrow turns out to be like a warlock who was in the town like forever ago. And you know, like people do, they kill things and bury them only for them to come back to haunt you. But this, this warlock was like, you know, some disgusting sinner in the town. And there's all these like flashbacks to like gross orgies. And yeah, it's, it's a very excessive kind of just like raunchy horror movie from, from that period. I really like it. I think it's, you know, not only just like excessive and gross, but I think it's like a really well done slasher. And it's a very unique slasher just in how it kind of marries uh, supernatural and like historical pieces to this killer that's just like going around killing people. But even then, you know, it's the kills are so unique and weird and the movie's just like a blast to watch. It's um the actual scarecrow in it like looks really cool. I think he doesn't look, you know, like if you look at a movie like Dark Knight of the Scarecrow or even Scarecrows, there's a few scarecrow movies out there. I think this scarecrow looks better than all of those. It's just, you know, there's a, there's a shot in the movie where if you like, you know, kind of do a Google image search, you'll probably see it where the scarecrow is like mounted on a cross and it's, I think it, it like looks amazing. Like it's this really haunting image. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great horror movie. It's a great slasher movie. It's just like a really solid kind of 90 genre movie that people don't talk about. So highly recommend it. I don't know how easy it is to see right now. I have that olive disc. I don't know if it's available digitally or if that disc is still in print, but if people can track it down, I think they'll be well rewarded. All right. That's uh, Night of the Scarecrow. You said 95? Yeah, I think it was 95. That's, yeah. I got to check that out. I've not seen that. As you started talking, I, I was like, oh, Dark Night of the Scarecrow, but that was way before that yes. and uh, definitely didn't follow that plot. So we got 10 amazing recommendations for our listeners here. We're going to recap our list real quick. Um, I will start my deadly game film was Game of Death. My Halloween film was Kenny and Company from 1976. My period piece was Apostle from 2018. My aquatic horror was Underwater from 2020. And my wild card was The Conference from 2023. My game film was House of Hobby Hill remake from 1989. My Halloween recommendation was Idle Hands. Also from 1999, my period piece horror film was Ravis, also from 1999. And my aquatic horror was Deep Rising from 1998. And then my wild card was Night of the Scarecrow from 1995. We got some killer Halloween films for people to watch this spooky season. Of course, there are uh, plenty of Vinegar Syndrome and OCN releases that people can watch for Halloween as well. Normally, this is the part where we would do some honorable mentions, but I thought for this time... 
we could just recommend some films from your labels that people might want to check out this uh, this spooky season. Oh man, um, that's it's like you know. It's <laughs> I know it's a tough because, one. You know, people say you know, like when you ask like directors their favorite films, it's like like well, it's like choosing between your children or something, and it's you know, we all put so much time into this stuff that it's like, how do you choose? Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I think one of the go-to like vinegar syndrome i think halloween movies at this point is probably spookies which is like a grab bag of like horror conventions and things that you know uh fit well with the halloween season um so i think that it's also just like a crowd pleaser you know so many of our films kind of you know get into territory that i think is is hard to put on with like your family or friends depending on your family and friends are so I think Spookies is one that like you could have like a casual hang with friends for Halloween that don't watch a ton of horror movies. And like, that's a fun movie to put on because you're not going to like clear the room <laughs> because it's, you know, it's, you're not putting on a bullet syndrome. Like, I think it's, it's a movie you can put on it. Everybody can have a good time. Um, I also really like the laughing dead is one that I keep highlighting to people. I want like a fun horror movie. It's another one that, like, I don't think is really going to, like, offend anybody. And it's it's gory, but it's, like, fun gory. And it's also just, uh, it's what I, I like to call, um, I have a list for this, too, that I call Kitchen Sink Horror, where it's just multiple different genres in one movie, and it's kind of all over the place. And The Laughing Dead, I think, like, totally fits that bill. Um, so, yeah, I, I really, really like that movie. Uh, it's one of my favorite horror movies we've put out and then you know i think that there's kind of the the i guess standards now like madman is one that people really like um you know then we have the heavy hitters like amityville horror texas chance on massacre 2 it was kind of a very long list it's, it's hundreds of titles so um but yeah i think if if i had to pick one that i would implore people to just kind of go watch and take a chance on it would be the laughing dead i think that's one that people will really have a good time with. I was going to mention Amityville Horror. Uh, that one takes place on or near Halloween, doesn't it? I believe so. I haven't watched it in a while, but I think so. I actually, I really like the Amityville sequels. Oh, I do too. Yeah. I think I have everything that's been released from, I, I don't have the remake from 2005. Oh, but yeah, I think no, I have everything. It's not good. I have every, yeah. I have everything you guys have released. Justin LaLiberty, we came up with some amazing films. We've got some great recommendations for people. We got to plug your stuff. Well, you can find Vinegar Syndrome um, on like everything as, you know, Vinegar Syndrome. Same with OCN Distribution. You know, we have Twitter and Instagram accounts. Um, you can buy everything on VinegarSyndrome.com. And then I'm all over the place. You can find me on Letterboxd as far as the place where people find me the most. Um, just my name, Justin LaLiberty. And then I'm on Twitter, uh, jlalibs, L-A-L-I-B-S. Um, also, same with Instagram. So yeah, I'm, I'm very easy to find. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of out there in the public. So yeah, if, you know, anybody wants to find me, they can. I'm also very easy to approach. So if anybody has questions, wants to talk about anything, just send me a message. Yeah, and the uh, right now, as as you're listening to this, the October titles are shipping for Vinegar Syndrome, and you've got about a month before well probably less than a month before the big black friday sale we got two surprise titles still to go and there's been some amazing stuff that's already been announced for that sale so that's something that is it's a day i always look forward to 
and there's always something that's that's really cool. And most of the titles are going to be half off, so you you got to check that out. I'm sure I'll, I'll I'll be posting about that when it happens. If you've never gotten a vinegar syndrome disc before, that's the perfect time to check it out because you know there's so much stuff that's on sale. You're gonna find something that you like. Yep, we have a lot of new releases too for uh, for the sale. So. Yeah, I'm really excited. I think it's a very strong slate for us this year. I'd love to know what your recommendations would be for our category. So please let me and Justin know on social media at Force5Pod on Twitter, at Force5Podcast everywhere else. And of course, via email at Force5Podcast at gmail.com. Links to everything Force5, Vinegar Syndrome, and Justin LaLiberty are in the show notes. In order to support me, tell anybody you know about the show any way you can and review the show wherever you're listening to this podcast. The Force 5 theme song comes courtesy of Nate Spears. The Vin Diesel fuel ad is linked in the show notes and is credited to AI Generate on YouTube. Until next time, have a safe and happy Halloween.